Once you've built a dedicated innovation team that focuses on the areas that you have chosen as strategic areas of focus, it's pretty important to also build the right governance around the team. Welcome back to another episode of the Innovation Roundtable Insights Podcast. That's Abhijit Ganguly from Goodyear. My uh, role in Goodyear is uh, Manager of Business Model Innovation and Incubations. Uh, this is a part of Goodyear's corporate R&D group. Uh, our group is called Global Innovation and its key mandate is to create new revenue opportunities for the company through business model innovation. At our workshops hosted by Bosch in Chicago, Abhijit discussed with our colleague Leonard how organizations can structure their innovation efforts between R&D and business model teams and how to conduct experiments with users. We hope you enjoy this episode. Thank you very much for coming into my uh, little backstage studio here and thank you for your presentation. Well, firstly, thanks for having me. Uh, great to be here. How would you describe kind of overall on the larger picture kind of the innovation principles of Goodyear? Uh, I think from a principle perspective, uh, there are a few things that we believe in that, that uh, are, are important. One is uh, the need for having dedicated focus uh, for innovation teams, particularly if you are innovating a little bit further away from your core business. Uh, it becomes fairly key to have a dedicated focus uh, f uh, on innovation. So that's probably the first key principle. Uh, once you've built a dedicated innovation team that focuses on um, the areas that you have chosen as strategic areas of focus, it's pretty important to also build the right governance around the team. In other words, what are the, right, what are the processes that follow? Uh, who will take decisions? What are the key gates? Um, and uh, it's important to pick uh, a, a group of leaders that are leaning forward and are helping the innovation pro uh, program advance uh, on its agenda. So if the first thing is about creating the dedicated teams, uh, the second piece is about creating the right governance and selecting the right leaders who will be a part of that governance process. Uh, I think the third thing is to now be, uh, be sure that the innovation starts from customers. Uh, and uh, we start not with ideas, but with customer pain points and ideate ourselves into those customer pain points. Uh, then we make sure that we think carefully about what kind of business models might we want to consider. Uh, for taking those uh, projects to market. Uh, so there probably we talked about four things uh, already. And the last but not the least is uh, giving careful considerations when your innovation initiatives actually enter the market, uh, carefully considering how you organize for success. Uh, so, you know, there are four or five key things at a high level that uh, we in Goodyear think are very, very important uh, for us to, uh, to be successful. Now, you've been explaining quite in, in detail how you think and work with business models and, and experiments in your presentation. How does kind of the business model part fit into kind of the larger uh, innovation framework within Goodyear? Uh, I think what makes the, business, the need for uh, generating new business models is, is very much our mandate. Our mandate is to create new revenue streams uh, that are adjacent to our core business. So while there is a group in Goodyear that focuses on making sure uh, that the product innovation stays on track and our product is uh, best in class, essentially, uh, at uh, all tiers of the market, what we want to do in our group is to focus on new revenue opportunities, which in turn means that we need to understand business models that uh, uh, cater to us uh, taking those business models that actually allow us to go to market successfully and capture value. 
So from that perspective, it's very important part of our, it's an integral part of our innovation process. Uh, and it's, it, the innovation process starts with customer value proposition and ends at business model uh, generation and validation through experiments, uh, which then results in an incubation being put in the market uh, for further testing and de-risking. What kind of business models, especially now in the digital age, kind of push into uh, the area of more traditional business models within Goodyear? And are they competing with each other? Um, I, I wouldn't say they're com competing. Um, I think in Goodyear, at least, we have seen that uh, the digital age has tremendous potential to complement uh, what we are doing in our core business. And uh, the reason I say that is, uh, I mean, there's a lot of trends that are happening today. Uh, sensors are becoming cheaper. Uh, communications are be is becoming ubiquitous. Everything is connected to everything else. Uh, so we find opportunities in not only making the tire better for our users in every sense of the term, but also uh, we find opportunities in connecting relevant tire-related tire information uh, and uh, leveraging the existing technologies in big data and IoT and data science, I must say, um, to be able to then create new value propositions that surround our product um, and are differentiating for us in the marketplace with respect to uh, what some of our competition might be doing. So we see there is uh, we see this as a complementing uh, complementing development, less as uh, a conflict. To be honest with you, with our core business, and there may be certain other situations and businesses where this might be different. Um, for example, a bricks and mortar retail operation, and how do they, uh, uh, you know, uh, how do they compete in the world of Amazon? So it's 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 just different in different businesses. In ours, we find that there is tremendous complementarity of uh, what the digital age is bringing with respect to what we can and cannot do for our customers. Now, you've been talking about kind of traditional product development as well, and then new business models. How, uh, if you look at an overall value proposition, uh, how much do you focus really on, on playing around with the different parts of the business model and then really looking into uh, what can we take as a, within you know, classical R&D product development and using that as one key part playing around? Oh, the product is a, is a very important piece. Um, and as I said, we don't play around with business models just for the heck of it. Uh, it's, it's when it's necessary to offer something new to the marketplace. Uh, an example of this is uh, we started a new offering called Managed Services, um, which was a holistic product and services offering to our customers in commercial fleets um, in the U.S. And in that business model, we required a, a, a great combination of products and services packaged together um, in uh, one monthly payment for the customer so that they could focus on their core logistics operations. In that case, specifically, uh, as we did in, embark on that journey, uh, we did so realizing fully or keeping our eyes open to the possibility that the way we build the product might need to be informed by uh, the needs of a managed services business as opposed to the traditional dimensions of merit um, uh, of the product itself. There may be new dimensions of merit that might uh, be interesting to, for us to consider in those kind of operations. So I think the product has been and is going to continue to be uh, an absolute key part of the new innovation that we are also doing uh, but as I said, our goal is broader than the product itself. Uh, but without the product, um, uh, with the product, we are, we are much, much stronger in terms of uh, what we innovate and what we put out in the market.
Now, you've been stressing in the uh, presentation about really finding out which, which kind of assumptions are the most important one for success and, and all of this uh, within a, a kind of a room of constraints all the time. Um, how do you, uh, you know, uh, discuss validity of experiments and how do you really design experiments to make sure that uh, the results that come out of it are valid and, and kind of true in a sense? Sure. So I think the, 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 one of the most important things to, to do before you design an experiment is actually, actually articulate the assumptions that uh, the new business model has uh, in it. Uh, when you embark on a, new, on, on, on a new business model, it is really a collection of assumptions on day one. When you, uh, when you think about what you might want to do with the, with the business model. So the first thing to do is to make sure you write the assumptions down in a way that uh, lends themselves to be uh, testable. Uh, so um, the second thing to do is to make sure that they are also the critical assumptions. If you're spending time on assumptions that, yeah, there are assumptions, but they're not really the most critical ones, uh, then you're really spending a lot of time and money on, uh, on things that may not matter eventually or may have little impact on the eventual business outcome you're trying to create. So uh, my, uh, the, the, the thing that I try and focus on is making sure you're focusing on the most critical assumptions and documenting them and making a prediction and putting a prediction on record saying that I think this might happen, uh, but I also recognize that I may be wrong. And then when you conduct the experiment coming back and matching your outcome with the prediction that you made. Uh, and as you try and explain the differences, that this is what I thought would happen, this is what actually happened, and the gap is this, and this is why I think the gap exists, in those conversations, learning happens. And as you learn, you refine your assumption to a, a much more razor-sharp and accurate assumption. And as you continue to do that, the overall risk in the program decreases because your level of knowledge on a critical assumption has improved. Uh, so back to your question, it's really about choosing the right ones, uh, uh, the assumptions, and also about making sure that you get a prediction on record documented, and then you design the experiments uh, so that they shed light on the specific assumption that uh, you're trying to test. One important part of the experiments is obviously measuring, and you've been uh, stressing also about the quantification part and the importance of it. Um, how do you see the kind of relation to, uh, relationship between the uh, qualitative part, maybe in the beginning of it, and then really the quantitative part in the, in, in, in the end, or like for the real experiments, and how do you... Uh, how do you measure on this and, and how do you evaluate those results? Sure. And I think there, is, there are qualitative components. Uh, there is an assumption that may be qualitative in nature. For example, I make, may make an assumption that um, uh, the fleet maintenance, the commercial fleet maintenance um, uh, teams have the time to uh, check and measure every tire that comes into the yard uh, to ensure that it's, it's, uh, it's properly inflated and properly taken care of. Um, and I can go and check against that assumption. So inherently, the assumption isn't quantitative, but you can set up the right metrics uh, to be able to measure whether your assumption was right or wrong. So in this instance, what we did was we went out and studied in field exactly how tire care and maintenance happened when a vehicle rolled into a specific commercial yard or logistics center. And we compared that against the reality against uh, what we had assumed. So although this wasn't a quantitative assumption, it was more related to 
to um, the finding out the customer need than it was to develop the business model. Uh, I think what we did over there was set up the right metric to measure uh, the uh, uh, the assumption that we made, although the assumption itself wasn't quantitative in nature, if that makes sense. Yeah. If we now jump back a bit, and I'm, I'm sorry for that, but how do you, from scratch, if it is kind of in an idea stage, how does it go from there, from an idea into you know becoming uh, a project and, and more or less a journey, experimentation journey, if something will work out as a business model or not? Yeah, so I think what I, uh, what I would like to stress on is that it's important to be customer-centered as opposed to being idea-centered. And there is, a, there is a distinction between the two approaches. Uh, in an idea-centered world, you may get a large group of people in a room, you may have them ideate, uh, and they may come up with the right ideas. Uh, there's every chance that you, may, uh, that you would have that. Um, and then you may have an idea competition, you may select the right idea, and then you start working on it. That is one way of approaching innovation. I believe a more effective way of approaching innovation is starting with the customer um, and starting by visiting the customer in, a, in an area of focus Uh, for example, I mentioned commercial trucking and uh, an area of focus could be how do commercial trucks and uh, commercial truck operators take care of tires. That could be your sandbox. Uh, but what you'd start with is not, here's five ideas of how to take care of tires. But what you start with is essentially, let's go and see, let's go get out of our offices, get out of our buildings, uh, get away from our computers and spend time in a commercial truck yard and observe. That's a key, observe. Um, uh, and don't impose our ideas to the people who are working, but observe how the people work. Uh, and we may find that uh, what we thought might um, be happening in the, in the real world is, is very, what we, we thought might be happening in practice in the real world is very different. Uh, so, and then you start the ideation. So once you have thoroughly um, vetted customer insights, You can ideate into the customer insights that you had, the customer pain points that you had. You're likely to be far more successful than saying, um, let's pick an idea and let's work on it. So it's, it's a difference between being customer-centered and being idea-centered. So our innovation process starts with the customer and ideas come into that um, process from a thorough understanding of customer needs and pain points and what it is that they're trying to get done Jobs to be done is a framework that has been used in the past. And so understanding those jobs to be done, uh, to me, is critical before uh, we embark on an ideation uh, process or an idea hunt. How are projects uh, then funded along the way, along the different cycles? And how is it you know, decided if something will move on or, event or maybe eventually even yes. is killed? So at the start of our discussion, I re referenced uh, uh, some of the key steps and principles is creating the right governance. Uh, if you recall, um, when we had the discussion, a part of the setting up the governance is uh, also setting up the right gates and, and uh, making sure that projects are reviewed at, at an appropriate cadence with the right group of people who have the authority uh, to, uh, to say that, yes, the project merits uh, going forward with or no, uh, it doesn't make sense to continue further. Uh, the funding is actually a corporate fund in Goodyear that is held Uh, separately uh, to specifically fund innovation initiatives. Uh, and that's how the funding is done. But how uh, the fund gets allocated is the decision of what we call the innovation board, which is uh, a group of lean forward leaders who are, um, whose, whose mandate is to actually take innovation forward and position Goodyear in the right way uh, for the future.
how are teams assembled for the specific projects and how, how do you pull together the right people to embark on a, on a journey? That's a great question. I think uh, every th there is uh, we try and make sure that we uh, pick the right people. That's obviously critical. Uh, but the broad skill sets we are trying to hit along the journey of creating cust understanding customer value uh, and understanding business models uh, really are uh, probably in three different groups. One is uh, the human-centered design skill set is critical, and we uh, almost always start projects with, uh, with that skill set. Um, having entrepreneurial, my, uh, entrepreneurial people who are really good at uh, designing experiments, de-risking assumptions is another skill set that we often uh, draw upon. Uh, and the third is, of course, technology. So uh, the blend of those skill sets uh, are critical in the success, eventual success of any innovation program. Uh, at what state, there are, there are certain, the participation rates of each skill set varies by, by, pro, by the stage the program is in. Uh, so we may deci decide to beef up the, the presence of, a, of the engineers in a project uh, after we know what we want to do in a, in a certain phase. Uh, or in certain projects, we might actually start with a heavy technical focus up front, uh, but we still, still make sure we try, try and understand the customer value. Uh, for that specific project itself. How many projects are on that portfolio at the moment and, and how, how much fluctuation is actually in there? Um, so uh, if you look at the eventual metric that we are trying to hit, uh, my goal is to put two new businesses in a startup mode, which we call incubations. Uh, my goal is to put them in market at the rate of two every year. So I try and make sure that there are two startups that are put in the market on an annual, uh, on, a, on, a, on a yearly basis. And in order to do that, of course, considering failure rates, we have to uh, look at maybe four to six engagements or even more that actually result in those kind of uh, two startups being in the market. And to get to four to six good business model engagements, we probably need double uh, that amount of customer uh, engagements, which then result in, in, uh, in something. So, um, between 8 to 12, perhaps, is what we would like to hit. Uh, are we always there each year? Perhaps no. Um, so, so those are the rough, roughly the numbers in terms of how projects flow. Uh, but uh, the eventual goal is two per year. One of the things that uh, we have seen is that if, as we have worked in specific opportunity areas, um, we have been able to take an idea, take a project that succeeded in a specific geography, and... Uh, being able to say, okay, how does it, how may it apply in a different geography? Uh, of course, along the way, we have ma uh, had to make changes and tailorings to uh, how a specific offering works in a different market. Uh, but we have found success in actually creating uh, a replication of success stories across different geographies with the same core idea. So um, that's that's been very very good for us. We've been able to take things that worked in a region uh, and uh, taken it to a different region with certain modifications. Uh, so uh, we have improved our numbers over the last few years uh, based on our ability to do that. Uh, but not everything works everywhere, so we need to be cognizant of, uh, of what works where and why. One of the questions is always like, when slowly the, those projects start to scale, how are business units involved and, and regions on the other side? How do you manage kind of that scaling process? Yeah, so once I mentioned uh, uh, it, my metric of uh, putting two go, uh, startups in, uh, in market every year, the goal for that is for the startups to demonstrate or not uh, the case for investing in them more. Uh, 
Once that case is made and agreed upon in Goodyear with key leadership and business unit stakeholders, these startups are then put in specific business units, uh, and they are the ones to scale that uh, those startups further. Uh, so uh, not only are the business units involved, eventually uh, they are the ones who have to make it big, and uh, therefore their participation and their uh, their um, buy-in in the overall process is critical. And uh, that's something we have worked uh, well towards over the last few years. Um, and uh, But invariably, as I said in my presentation, when you work strictly customer back, uh, you will end up in certain times in areas which are uh, very far away from your core. And then you have to make a determination whether uh, it's worth for you to stretch yourself to those areas or it's probably a good idea to stay within certain boundaries. Uh, and I think the history of innovation will teach us that there are pros and cons in both approaches. Uh, so there's been companies that have let go of certain things uh, because it wasn't core to them and those things have gone out of the company and become eventually bigger than the company itself. So there are many examples like that. Uh, so again, it's, it's no silver bullet, but business participation is key and the businesses are eventually responsible for growing and scaling uh, the new, initi new initiatives that come from our group. You've mentioned in the beginning the governance and also the different gates and and people with the authority and expertise looking at this. What kind of leadership responsibility or like capabilities, not responsibility, capabilities are important, you know, to, to lead those uh, business model innovation teams and explorative teams? Yeah, we certainly have a great group of leaders in Goodyear who come and uh, uh, assist us in moving innovation uh, uh, forward. I think what What is important uh, as, you, you, as, as, a, as someone who is tasked in moving innovation forward as a leader, what is important is to be able to um, sort of um, come in from a, from a, say, from an operations meeting and sit in an innovation meeting and be, uh, be putting a different hat on, if you know what I mean. Uh, so one is about managing the present. The other is about creating the future. And, uh, uh, you know, the, the number one criteria is uh, for people who are in that position uh, and, and uh, being given that responsibility of, uh, uh, of driving innovation forward is to be able to somehow, it's hard to do, it's decouple from the present and focus on the future and then go back into the present very quickly. So it's the ability to put different hats on uh, at different moments. Uh, as a leader, I believe that's critical in driving innovation forward. Abhijit. Thank you very much for your presentation and for that pleasant conversation. Thank you very much. It was great to be here. Thanks for listening. You can find our show in most podcast apps. Subscribe for free to get the latest episodes. The video and the transcript of this podcast and all of our other exclusive interviews can be accessed via innovationroundtable.online. The Innovation Roundtable online network is your portal to a wide variety of exclusive content, including video presentations, interviews, insights reports, and articles. Not only that, innovationroundtable.online is also a place where you can connect with thousands of other corporate innovators, share experiences, request collaborations, and gain inspiration from your peers.